This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Endemic. It's a term that you might have heard recently. It means a stage when a virus exists in a community but becomes manageable. Last week, California announced an endemic strategy, making it the first state to unveil a targeted plan to live with the virus. So what would an endemic stage look like in Illinois? And are we anywhere close to that? Here to help us sort it all out is Dr. Taramini, infectious disease specialist with Dooley Health and Care. Great to talk with you again, Dr. T. Hey, Sasha. I want to start by recognizing that in our state that there's still a, a really high rate of community transmission in nearly every single county. And that's not the case in California. But I still do want to ask you, doctor, how far away are we from implementing an endemic strategy here in Illinois? I think we're pretty close. I mean, I've been paying close attention to some um, extrapolated trends that are anticipated in the weeks to come. And even looking at the week of March 5th and the week after, I'm looking at what should be statewide sustained transmission rates that fall into that low, low category. So if we continue on the trajectory that we are on, I think that we have the very, very possible potential to be talking about an end endemic strategy, you know, in the weeks to come here. So I, I talked briefly about what endemic means, but can you just give us some specifics? What would it look like exactly? Well, when we move to an endemic strategy, even looking at other countries that have, have completely uh, established this, like uh, England has, we're going to be looking at the very real possibility that there are no vaccine requirements, there are no masking requirements, and you know, this is one that we all are going to have to get used to over this next chunk of time here, but there will no be no isolation, no quarantines. Essentially, if you're sick, stay home. If you're well, be well, um, but there won't necessarily be an enforced five days or seven days or any number of days that you strictly have to isolate because we will have had enough antibodies in the community, enough people vaccinated, that the chances of having a significant spread from person to person will be much less. Wow. Okay. Uh, any signs that our state leaders might be making these types of preparations? I think that oh, I, I'm quite sure that there are exit strategies being discussed on a day-to-day -day basis. The challenge with all of this, as it has been for the entire time of this pandemic, is we have to all have the patience to be able to pump the brakes a bit if things don't go as planned. So there remains the possibility that we will start to reopen and encounter something like an unexpected variant or an unexpected trend, or maybe a particular county that has uh, an issue that needs to roll back and press pause a little bit. It won't necessarily be every mitigation is gone forever, immediately, everywhere. That's just not yeah. possible. So we constantly are going to have to keep our finger on the pulse of what's going on in our communities, in our counties, in our state. We recently talked on this show about how the pandemic is affecting immunocompromised people. How can we make sure that this group isn't overlooked throughout this process? This is where I think we have to have a conversation with ourselves uh, to you know, I, I'm not immune suppressed, thankfully. My child isn't, thankfully. But we are very cognizant that 
people that we know and love may be. And we want to continue to protect ourselves and protect others as best we can. So I think the focus needs to be on those most vulnerable as we continue to expand access to our therapeutics, to our monoclonal antibodies, to our oral medications, and pay attention to when these most vulnerable are eligible for any booster doses to be able to facilitate getting them their booster doses as quickly as possible because they will remain those most susceptible to a more severe course indefinitely. Yeah. Well, let's talk now about the state's plans to lift the mask mandate. Uh, We should know more about it by the end of the week, but what metrics are being used to gauge where we're at in terms of COVID? (laughs) You know, it's not one single metric. It's not just about case counts or positivity rates, which have been encouraging. We're seeing case counts come down. We're seeing a rolling positivity rate as low as it has been since November. I mean, we're really in a decent place there. But we also need to look at available hospital beds, available ICU beds, how many folks are currently in the hospital still with COVID symptoms and COVID illnesses, how many folks are still occupying our intensive care beds. And when we get to a place where Uh, several of those metrics meet sort of low uh, numbers, then it becomes a a point where we can open the aperture. I think we're in a decent place to uh, look at relaxing indoor masking for most of the state uh, coming up in the next week or two. Um, I don't know what the timeline will be for Chicago proper, if it's going to be the same time or a week later. I, I look forward to hearing some updates there as well. Well, you say we're in a decent place. What are our metrics today? So we're looking at a rolling positivity rate that is down around 3.1 to 3.5%. We still have um, several counties within the state of Illinois that are in that high transmission rate, but we are falling uh, closer and closer to the moderate, and then we will get in low transmission. So we need to have essentially, you know, 20% of our um, hospital beds and ICU beds available uh, so we don't have a stress on our um, healthcare system. We need to have, you know, positivity rates. Gosh, I'd love to see them less than 50 per 100,000 in given areas. And that's really going to sustain us in a very good place. Um, Around the country, we've seen COVID infections and, and hospitalizations steadily decline. What about deaths? You know, deaths hopefully will start to decline as well. The the numbers, the the raw numbers are are falling slowly but surely, but that usually is the last metric to fall. Uh, Still to this day, I have patients in the hospital that have been in the hospital for many weeks. So they are statistically a case count from weeks and weeks ago, but they may not be a death count until weeks from now, depending on how their hospital courses go, we still have very critical patients. And it's it's not something that folks necessarily become sick with and, and die quickly from. There are cases that really we do the best we can for as long as we possibly can. And the outcome, unfortunately, sometimes is not what we would like it to be. So those will level off as well. Again, uh, soon, we're, we're really approaching a point where all of these metrics are going to continue to decline. There's a news story this morning about a more contagious version of Omicron. It's causing some concerns. What do we know about this strain? 
So the strain of Omicron, you know, we, we are certainly keeping our eyes on uh, any any type of subvariant of Omicron that's out there. And we know that the BA2 subvariant is more contagious and potentially, you know, in, in many cases, it's still causing mild illness. But again, for the most vulnerable, we are looking at that possibility that it can cause a bit more severe illness, um, which has been troubling to individuals that may have had COVID and recovered and think, well, if I get it again, it just won't be that bad at all. I've got plenty of antibodies. But we are seeing reinfections with probably um, a more contagious strain, like potentially Omicron BA2 variant, and folks that are like, wow, this is really knocking me out. I am homesick for a while. Hopefully not sick enough to be hospitalized, but sick enough to really disrupt, you know, the day-to-day, going to work Mm -hmm. and all those things. And you know, we'd like to think that if we are recovered from COVID, that we have this magical 90 days of immunity at a minimum. And for many people, they might have immunity for quite some time. But we are also seeing reinfections that are happening much sooner than 90 days, meaning in theory, you could have had an Omicron case over the holidays. And here we are six or eight weeks later, and you could come down with another case of Omicron if the variant does happen to be in your community and you are susceptible to it. If you're just tuning in, that's infectious disease specialist, Dr. Mia Teramina. We're talking about what we should do to prepare as Illinois plans on removing the indoor mask mandate at the end of the month. In a few minutes, we'll talk about a new documentary about civil rights icon, Fannie Lou Hamer. Uh, It premieres tonight, or tomorrow night, rather. And we're going to talk to her great niece and the director about the film. So stay with us for that conversation. Doctor, of course, even when Illinois does lift the mask and vaccine card mandates for for businesses, masks will still be required in some spaces. So can you just remind us of where we will still have to mask up? So we're still going to have to mask up by and large. And of course, this is a controversial topic across our state. In schools, uh, masking is going to be recommended. And that's not going to be something that um, the state and the city are going to look at peeling back universally, recommendation-wise, right out of the gate next week. Um, healthcare, in all healthcare settings, nursing homes especially, but hospitals, clinics, if you're going to be in a healthcare setting, you need to be masked up. We need to still protect our frontline workers. We need to protect our patients. We need to protect ourselves. And public transportation, you know, we're looking at uh, buses and trains and and cars and even shared rideshare services. I I foresee masking to still be required for some time. Um, Planes, of course, for some time as well. I do not know when those recommendations are going to fall. I would imagine that healthcare spaces will likely be the last in line to fall. And we may um, willingly so be masked for a very long time to come. Should we toss our cloth masks at this point? I think at this point, a cloth mask really falls into the category of better than nothing at all. Um, and, and really, they shouldn't be worn for long, long periods of time. I, I still have a cloth mask or two if I need to throw one on to go run into the post office or something like that. But if I'm going to be in, indoors for any extended period of time, my preference is to wear an N95 or KN95 mask because indoor spaces still remain the most likely hotspots. Some districts are going mask optional, as you mentioned a moment ago, after a state appellate court ruling dismissed the governor's appeal for a mask mandate in schools. Governor Pritzker plans on asking the Illinois Supreme Court to review the decision, doctor. So I want to get your thoughts on that whole debacle. 
It certainly is a debacle. You know, essentially what we've done is we've kind of pushed ourselves over a finish line uh, potentially a little bit too soon. So we need to really pay close attention to schools and school-related outbreaks to, to make sure that we are doing right by these kids. Um, politics aside, this virus just does not care. And we need to make sure that we are not seeing uh, substantial increases in transmission within schools with these mask mandates and other mitigation strategies just being sort of ripped off like a Band-Aid. Um, we know that the initial appeal um, was uh, deemed moot because the um, the the executive order um, sort of fell and, and the timeline fell. So there's not anything in place really right now saying that it absolutely is mandatory to be masked in schools anywhere. It's sort of left up to the districts. So we will now have to look at Supreme Court and the health department and to what extent they have any ability to enforce or not enforce masking in our school spaces moving forward. And on top of that debate, there's also a lot of talk about how masks impact children's mental health. Dr. Taramina, what do you think about that? It's it's such an incredible topic. I think that for some children, absolutely being masked has been something that is very difficult for them. And uh, there's a significant amount of anxiety surrounding it. It's not comfortable. It's not favorable. I think, uh, and honestly, my, my gut says that the vast majority of students have just been so grateful to be in school masks or not that that was the more that was the greater mental health issue was these kids being isolated at home virtually learning um but you know the fact that they could wear a mask and get back to school this fall was absolutely what needed to happen to have that mitigation in place so i think that that did um quite a bit of good for the mental health of our kids now we've reached this this confusing period of time where masks are required in some schools, not in others. If you play on a basketball team and you're at this school, maybe you have to mask, but you didn't have to at your school. And that's stressful for these kids. Kids thrive on predictable, routine, consistent, you know, things from place to place. So Mm -hmm. we now have to have more conversations with these kids about why they have to wear a mask on the bus, but not in their classroom. And they don't need to wear it in the after school program, but they need to wear it in the before school program. These kids Mm -hmm. are all over the place right now, and we've asked so much of them. Let's touch on vaccines for a little bit. What's an ideal vaccination rate in Illinois at this point? little bit higher than where we're at. Look at the Northeast, look at California, look at states that are 75, 78%. That would be outstanding. You know, we're sitting at about 67%, 68% um, of our state being uh, fully vaccinated by the initial definition. And of course, we really want people to be boosted as well. Um, 70 isn't necessarily a magic place, but when we look at countries like Sweden and Denmark that have largely tossed aside most of their mitigations, they have a much higher vaccination rate. So I would love 80%, but at least mm. 7, 8, 9% higher than where we are. And it's possible we're 7, 8, 9% higher than where we were several months ago with this whole Omicron surge. So if we can keep pushing across the finish line and getting more people vaccinated, that's going to put us in a really great place. If we don't like mitigations, the strategy is going to be to continue vaccinating. That's going to give us the most freedom. You know, we've heard before, this is the pandemic of the unvaccinated. Do you think that's still the case? 
I think it was more so the case when we had Delta, um, you know, when Delta kind of came about and we knew that our vaccines were quite, quite protective um, against all of the circulating strains, including Delta. Omicron's been a little bit different because, yes, breakthrough infections are very, very common and people that have been fully vaccinated and have had Omicron, they can still spread Omicron. So it's not necessarily a pandemic of the unvaccinated, but our unvaccinated remain 60 to 65% more likely to have a severe hospital course and death from this vaccine preventable virus. Um, you know, so that's something that it becomes a, a catastrophe for the unvaccinated, but not necessarily a pandemic of the unvaccinated because our vaccines are not 100%. That's infectious disease specialist, Dr. Mia Teramina. Dr. Teramina, thanks for being with us. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.